right, everybody. Welcome back to the Lawlands Podcast. This is the podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community and just talk about filmmaking and YouTube. So, yeah, today we have another Q&A podcast, and we've got a pretty good amount of questions in. The first questions are always going to be answered from my Patreon community. So if you would like to join me on Patreon, you get a bunch of perks. And one of the other perks is that I will not only read your question, but give you a little shout out in this podcast as well. So we got four questions on Patreon, and they are all from Tony Sellium. Thank you, Tony. But before we start, I guess I'll just give you a little bit of an update on the gear that I'm using. So I have been wanting to experiment with recording into GarageBand just because there's some easy compression and, you know, tone tools there using the narrator setting. And since GarageBand is free, I figure why not? And I'm using it on my iPad Mini 4. So I'm still using my Zoom H1. But the cool thing about the Zoom H1 is that you can use it as a USB mic, which is pretty sweet. So I'm just talking into the Zoom H1 that's going through the USB connection into my iPad Mini 4 into GarageBand. So, so this way I might have to do less audio editing, which will just make this podcast a little bit easier. First question from Tony is, if you weren't focused on bang for buck, would you switch to full frame? Probably. If I wasn't a budget filmmaker or budget filmmaking channel and I was just a freelancer that needed to, you know, provide the best quality for my clients and the, you know, nicest looking image, I might switch to full frame. I feel like there's kind of a stigma where it's just like full frame is the only thing that looks good, which I don't think that's true. Super 35 looks good. Micro Four Thirds looks good. Super 16 looks good. I think that just in a lot of the high-end productions, you see super shallow depth of field because a lot of people are using cameras like the Alexa LF or the Mini LF. So I feel like the full-frame look is associated with high-budget Hollywood stuff, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't pull off great-looking stuff with smaller sensors. So I might get something like a S5 again or an FX3, but I would be just as happy if I had like a you know, a Pocket 6K Pro or something like that. Yeah, I might switch to something other than a, a Micro Four Thirds. Like if I went back to freelancing right now, I would just use my EM1 Mark II. So, all right, next question. Besides the black mist filter or vintage lenses, are there any other methods for creamy looking videos to combat digital sharpness? I see you just posted a video about cheaper lenses, which may achieve a similar effect to vintage glass. Yeah, there are a lot of different filters that you can use. There's a lot of DIY methods you can do to give a softer look to your lenses. You can get just a, a UV filter, and I've seen people spray it with hairspray, and that gives a similar you know, black promist glimmer glass type of look. I've seen people put women's stockings like on the back side of their lenses to give kind of like that black promist. The, the filters that I like to use right now anyways are the Tiffin Glimmer Glass, which that gives a much softer look, but it doesn't bloom the highlights as much, which I like. And I also use the Nissi Black Mist 1/8, which is essentially kind of like a Black Pro Mist by Tiffin. So those are the two filters that I like, but you'll definitely see softer images from cheaper lenses. So the 7 Artisans 25mm f1.8 is still a pretty sharp lens, but it has, in in my opinion at least, it has a lot of vintage characteristics. It flares like a vintage lens would, and it's very cheap. So you can look into purposefully getting cheap lenses, like the old CCTV ones, that are not sharp at all, and they have crazy softness and weird roll-off on the edges, but are pretty sharp in the middle. So there's a lot of ways that you can get, you know, less digital-looking images. And there's even, I think, like, 
stuff you can do in post. If you watched my video a couple years ago on using Film Convert to recreate a Moonrise Kingdom little scene that I do with my brother, I show you in that video how I bloom the highlights with a editing trick by just singling out the highlights and blurring them. So I'll leave that in the show notes below if you want to check that out, but that's another way that you can do it. All right, another question from Tony is, typically how many hours a week do you spend shooting and editing? I think it depends on the video. Sometimes I'll spend a lot more time editing the video than I will actually shooting. Like with my video that I did on Olympus where I was doing a talking head for the most part and then there was a lot of old footage. Sometimes the editing process also involves tracking down a lot of the footage that I want to reference in a video. So going through my hard drives and finding footage and bringing it into the folder and the project that I'm working on. So sometimes I'm spending a lot more time editing. I would say that I probably work a good 40 hours a week on my YouTube channel uh, doing various things. But one of the things about being a creator is that you're almost always working. I'm not like a workaholic, that's for sure. But when you're a full-time creator, you're always thinking of different avenues to improve your YouTube channel and make money. So last question from Tony is, do you see enough value to have cinema lenses? Or are the non-cinema lenses just fine? I definitely see value in having cinema lenses if the project calls for it, which I know is a cop-out answer. But if I was filming a like a commercial or a music video or like a narrative thing that I had a crew with and I could have someone pulling focus for me, then I would absolutely want a cinema grade piece of glass. Even like the cheaper stuff like by Mike or Seven Artisans, like that stuff is gonna give you a lot more of a cinematic look and the fact that it's not gonna breathe as much, it's going to you know, be a little bit easier to use with follow focuses, whereas, you know, photographic lenses are not necessarily like that. So I definitely still see use for them just for me right now as a one-man band, not having anyone to pull focus, being in front of the camera. So I need to make sure that I'm in focus digitally. So I need to either be using my phone or my iPad to set my focus points while I'm filming myself or use a link recorder or something like that to make sure I'm in focus. That's where I need electronic enabled lenses to be able to do that. So yeah, if you're on bigger sets or if you're behind the camera a lot more, then I would definitely say cinema lenses are a great way to go. So those are all the questions from Patreon. Big thanks to Tony Selim again for submitting those. And now we're going to go to the YouTube community page and answer some of the questions there. Okay, so the first one is, hi Nigel, I'm trying to get into a posting rhythm for YouTube. Any suggestions? Yeah, there's some simple ways that you can do that. If you're trying to figure out like when you should post, you can go into your analytics and see when your subscribers are tuning in, like what day of the week and what hour they're tuning into the most and that's when you can post your videos so for me i found that the majority of my audience is watching videos on like the weekdays so like monday tuesday wednesday around 6 30 a.m pacific standard time so now that i'm in dallas i'll usually post at like 8 30 a.m because we're a couple hours ahead so i typically post on mondays at like 8 a.m or 8 30 a.m so that's when I post and I try to post every Monday if I can. I'll take a week or two off if I need to, if I'm working on a bigger video or if I just, you know, something comes up and I can't finish the video. I'd rather have it done to my own standards, which I've had to lower my standards a lot being a YouTuber because if I was going to make it perfect, they'd never get posted. But I'd rather make sure that it's at least 
a good enough video for me to post it than just posting some really quick video that doesn't provide any value or entertainment to anybody. But yeah, I try to post every week on Monday mornings. And for you, it might be different. For you, your audience could turn in on Saturdays or Sundays. So you can just figure that out. But what I like to do is I have a calendar and I'll typically have my upload days there and like what I need to do beforehand throughout the week. So if it's shooting B-roll or reshooting an A-roll shot or finding music, I'll have each of those things on each day. So even if I get nothing else done, I can get one of those things done per day. So I hope that helps. That's how I've gotten into the rhythm of doing it for the past two years as a full-time YouTuber. All right, next up. Hi, Nigel. I love your channel and all the good stuff you do to help us low-budget filmmakers. Hey, thank you. I want to ask you if you are also interested in other aspects of filmmaking, like short movies or video clips. Have you ever shot these kinds of projects? Do you have any suggestions? I'm not really that into narrative stuff. So, you know, even if someone had like a really cool script that's like a narrative thing, I'm not necessarily that interested in it. And if I'm not interested in doing narrative stuff, then I'm probably not going to do a very good job at it. I would do short documentaries. And I mean, like really short, like, you know, sub 10 minutes. I just, I don't have the patience to work on super long projects and I just don't find them as fulfilling. So the next question is, thank you for all the great useful content. Hey, you're welcome. I would like to ask what was the first lens you bought? And if you had to use only one focal length, what would it be? I mean, first lens that I ever bought, if you're talking like a DSLR type lens, would probably be the Canon 18 to 55 kit lens because the first DSLR I think I bought was the T2i and that's the lens that came with it. If you're talking about like first piece of glass, I bought a Century Optics fisheye for my Canon HV30 back when I had it, like mini DV camcorder that could be, you know, you could connect it digitally to your computer. And that's why I shot a lot of my skate videos on. That Century Optics lens, like for the time that I bought it, it was pretty expensive. It was like $400 and it like was a 43 millimeter filter, I think, for it. But uh, yeah, that was one of my like favorite little setups, the HV30 and the Century Optics death lens on it. If I had to pick one focal length, I would probably pick anything between like a 28 and a 35 millimeter. So whatever like field of view that fits into for whatever sensor I had. So right now I really like the Sigma 16 millimeter. I feel like I can accomplish a lot of things with that focal length. It's a little bit tighter than my 15, but not as tight as like a 20 or something like that would be. So because I shoot in 17 by nine, not 16 by nine, having a little bit of extra space and then I can crop in and readjust my frame if I need to, you know, makes it essentially like a 35 millimeter lens when I do it that way because I shoot in cinema 4K most of the time. But yeah, I like anywhere between 28 and 35 as far as focal lengths go. Ideally, if I could only pick one lens, I'd probably pick a zoom though. All right, next question. Hey man, I started following you after watching your banger video about how to make videos look cinematic. After that, I saw your old videos about 12 years on YouTube. Your video has aesthetic look. Why do you think it took so long for you to get 100,000 subscribers? Sorry for the dumb question. I just started my YouTube journey too, so it scares me a little bit. <laughs> Don't be scared. It probably won't take you 12 years to, you know, find success on YouTube. That video, I've said this before, but it's a little bit of a clickbaity title. I started my channel in 2006. That's not really when I started uploading YouTube videos in hopes that people would watch them. I think I only really started doing that maybe... 
I want to say like 2016. So what is that? Like six years or something? So yeah, it probably took me like half that, but it probably won't take you that much. I mean, if you, there's so much more information online about how to grow a successful YouTube channel that I didn't know when I first started. So you probably have a much better likelihood of finding success faster than I did because I did a lot of things wrong. But hey, you can learn from my mistakes and don't do those things. I'm not a YouTube guru, so I'm not going to tell you what types of strategies you should do, but there are a lot of other people out there that can teach you how to find success on YouTube. Yeah, I hope that answers your question. I'm glad that you think my videos have an aesthetic to it. But yeah, don't be scared. You'll probably find success on YouTube. Just, you know, be yourself. And I don't know what kind of content you create, but just make sure that you put your own spin to it and try not to imitate other successful YouTubers, but more emulate the things that they're doing right, if that makes any sense. Hi, Nigel. Love your channel and please keep up the great work. Quick question. How do you maintain consistency in your creative process? It is not easy to do so over an extended period of time, I believe. Yeah, it definitely gets hard the more and more you make videos, especially if you're in like the educational space, because I feel like there are so many things that have already been talked about. And it's like, how do you put your own spin onto something that's already been discussed? So that's one of the biggest struggles that I find. Um, but the way that I maintain consistency is that like, I'm always learning something. I'm always trying to get better at stuff. And I think this year I've really honed in on like, I want to be a better cinematographer. I know that I'm not the best out there. You know, like, like maybe for the last couple of years, I could say that I'm a good videographer. I'm a good video creator, but I would never actually say that I'm a very good cinematographer. And so that's one of the things that like, I want to get better at the aspects of cinematography that I feel like I can hone in on is lighting and camera movement and working with color and stuff like that. So those are the things that I want to get better at. And so since I'm getting better, I might as well take everyone on the journey with me of me trying to become a better cinematographer so that hopefully one day I can actually work on projects that like would require a skilled cinematographer and I can be that person. So that's kind of how I keep consistency is I just keep on trying to learn new things and I take my audience with me on that journey of me trying to become better at something. So that's how I stay consistent. And that is the last question from YouTube, except for one last one. It's just a heart emoji. So thank you for that. And I actually did an ask on Instagram as well for some questions and I got a pretty good amount. So the first one is best budget cameras that can record 120 frames per second slow motion. And the only cameras that I really can think of is I think the Sony a6300 can do that in 1080p, I think. I know that the Panasonic G95 can, but you can't control any of the exposure settings. The G9, I believe, does shoot in 120 frames per second in 1080, and I'm pretty sure you can control the the exposure manually. So that would be probably my bet for a 120 frames per second camera would be the G9. Yeah, my iPhone 7 can shoot 120 frames per second in 1080p. So if you wanna go real, like, low budget, then you know, go that route. All right. How to earn from filmmaking and photography. I'm guessing they're asking how to earn money from filmmaking and photography. It's kind of a really hard question to answer in, you know, a few minutes on a podcast, but I would say make sure that you have the skills to be worthy of getting paid for your filmmaking or photography, because just 
owning a camera and knowing how to press the record button isn't really going to make people pay you. So yeah, that's what I would say is make sure that you have the skills to get paid. And then I would start out maybe second shooting for someone. If you're a photographer and you're okay with shooting weddings, I feel like it's pretty easy to get your foot in the door because people are always getting married and there are a lot of photographers who would take you up on working for free. And that's a really good way to not only meet other photographers in your area, but also potentially get, you know, some clients from working at that wedding. Maybe one of the attendees is getting married and they want to hire the photographer that's shooting it. They can't do it, but then the photographer recommends you. So that would be one way that I would say it. In filmmaking, it's a little bit harder, maybe less hard again if you're a wedding filmmaker because I feel like it's just a little bit easier to get your foot in the door there because it's not such a gatekeeped community and there isn't like a high level of entry. It's a pretty low barrier to entry to like becoming a wedding photographer or wedding videographer because there isn't like agencies you have to work with or there isn't like a lot of like industry knowledge that you need. So those would be my suggestions is if you just want to start making money and you're okay with shooting weddings that would be the first thing that I would look into because that's the first thing that I did was I shot weddings and I almost feel like it's like a, a rite of passage for a lot of people is that they always start out in like the wedding industry and then you can move on to other things once you've gained a lot of experience all right next question would you review a cheap Akazo action cameras probably not like if they wanted to send it to me then I might test it out and if I liked it maybe but not really a big action camera guy. I have my Osmo action and that's really all I need. Um, I love that little camera. Would you do a video on three or four camera positions recording at the same time? I don't think so. I've never really been in a position where I have needed that many cameras running. Actually, I did do one video. It was like a it was like a little music video for a band. And I think I had, let's see, I had the G85, the GX85, the S5, and the Osmo Action all recording at the same time. And you can look that video up if you want to. It's called Happy Trigger, and the song is called Cerebellum. I shot it for them a little while ago as a buddy of mine. It's a pretty fun, like punk rock song too, if you want to listen to it. <laughs> all right, what are some ways you keep yourself motivated? I think one of the things that motivates me a lot is seeing other filmmakers and YouTubers like just killing it, whether it's like stuff that they're creating or the types of videos that they're making. I really get inspired by that and, and it really motivates me to want to make like to up my game, you know? And I feel like it's kind of like that when, in, you know, in other aspects of my life, when I'm skating with someone like a buddy of mine and, you know, he's learning something new, like he's learning a new trick. It kind of motivates me to like want to try to learn a new trick too. Not because I'm super competitive, but just because I really enjoy like getting better at what I do. So I feel like that's what keeps me motivated is other filmmakers and YouTubers who are, you know, putting out really good stuff. All right, how do you decide what shots will best tell a story? I feel like one of the ways that I can tell if a shot is going to tell the story well is if it, I guess, fits in with the narrative of that story. I'm going to talk about this a little bit just because I'm working on trying to create a an idea board for this coffee commercial that I want to do. And so when I'm thinking of the shots, I'm kind of thinking of like, okay, what's going to encapsulate the idea of this video that I want to make? So I have like three or four words that are kind of like my buzzwords for this video. And so whenever I'm thinking of shots, I always think, okay, does this shot encapsulate one of these words? So if you were going to make like, a running commercial or a running documentary, 
and you know the words that you wanted to describe this running documentary was fast heat hard work and nature you could kind of like use those as a foundation for like when the shots that you're getting do any of these shots emphasize those words that you want to describe this video as so maybe if you saw this really cool shot of a flower maybe you wouldn't get that shot unless it kind of fit into the words that you had you know picked out that you want to describe that video so that's how that's like a little way that you can like tell which shots actually belong in the edit when you're making videos all right next question will you ever make a short film or a doc what would you imagine it would be about if i ever did a short doc probably not a short film at least not a short narrative because as i said i'm not a huge narrative person um, but if i was gonna make a short doc i'd love to make it on like a creative person or an athlete i really like the idea of like doing like a, a pocket skate mag type of documentary where i'm just kind of like following someone and you know interviewing them a little bit and making it cinematic so i could see myself doing it on like a skateboard or something like that that'd be pretty fun favorite part about being a youtuber and least favorite part my favorite part is making youtube videos my least favorite part is having to make youtube videos <laughs> i love making youtube videos when it's like there's no pressure on me to make the video my least favorite part is when i have to make a video like if it's like a sponsored video or something like that not that all sponsored videos are bad there are some sponsors that i love working with and most of the time most of the sponsors that i work with are great there are some times where it's just like there's a deadline and i have to make a video and it doesn't matter if i'm feeling uninspired or if the topic of the video that i'm making it on isn't my favorite having to make a video is probably the worst part about being a youtuber that in the inconsistency in your revenue because sometimes i make a lot of money and sometimes i make not so much money so those are some of the good and bad parts of being a youtuber what's the best advice for someone who is afraid to go all in on content creation i would say unless you're financially ready to go full-time on youtube which means you're you know you're making enough money from youtube that you can quit your day job and make youtube a full-time thing don't quit your day job <laughs> like unless you're making enough to quit your day job do not quit your day job that's pretty obvious but if you are you know pulling in a good amount of money and it's around the same amount of money that you're making at your day job then i would say there's a lot more freedom and flexibility with youtube and you get out of it what you put into it so when i quit my day job i was making almost twice as much as i was making at that day job so it made sense for me to just quit the day job and go full on to youtube and that's how i knew that it was it was time for that when i was making twice as much as i was making waking up and going to work every single day so that would be my suggestion if you're afraid to go all in on you know content creation just ask yourself is it making you enough money and do you have enough time to put into it a really good position to be in is having a job that you really like already and having enough time to put into you know creating content that you can like build up a channel and it'll eventually overlap your day job to where you can quit but unless you're at that point i wouldn't advise just you know quitting your day job when you have you know 200 subscribers and hoping that money will just run in if you make you know more and more videos it's just not going to happen that way how or when do i know if i'm a good enough cinematographer to start looking for pro work well 
I guess it depends on what you think pro work is. Like, if you're making stuff that looks like it should be on TV, then you probably wouldn't even be asking this question. But if your stuff is still, if there's something still lacking and you can tell that, like, you're just not quite there yet, then I would say get better. And, you know, like, you'll know when your stuff is on par with the professional cinematographers out there but I mean if you're just talking about like pro work as in like maybe there's a local restaurant who needs a promo video like most cinematographers or videographers with a couple years of experience under their belt can do something like that and that is technically pro work you're doing work as a professional you know camera operator videographer whatever you want to call it that's how I kind of think of like a successful cinematographer is if you strip them of all of their gear could they still get jobs? There are some cinematographers that I follow, like Lewis Potts and uh, Corey Robinson, that like, I know for a fact that if they had no gear at all, they could still get hired for big paying jobs because they just have the knowledge behind it. So yeah, that's what I would say to that question. I hope that answers it. All right, next question. Texas life versus Oregon. Curious to know what a Northwest native thinks of the Lone Star State. Yeah, I mean, I like it for the most part. I do miss the mountains and the pine trees and the Douglas firs and the redwoods and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it is weird just, you know, having so much skyline like normally the skies in Oregon are broken up by mountains and stuff like that so it's just a big difference in scenery and I feel like I've you know I think I said this before like I don't want to upset any Texans but like objectively Oregon is a more beautiful place in the fact that like the beauty is condensed into a small area whereas Texas is an enormous state like just go online and look up like Texas in comparison to like, you know, a lot of the European countries and you'll just see how big Texas is. So although I'm sure that there's a lot of beautiful places here in the state, it doesn't really mean that much to me if I have to drive four to eight hours to get there. Like in Oregon, I could walk 10 minutes out of my house and be at a waterfall, you know? So those are the things that I'm missing from Oregon, uh, you know, aside from all my family and friends that are there. But yeah, uh, I definitely miss the scenery because I'm just, I'm a little bit less inspired here in Texas just because the Oregon landscape is one of the, you know, I feel like it was one of the biggest influences of my filmmaking style was just being out in the woods and always having beautiful backdrops to shoot in. Um, another thing that's kind of bumming me out right now in Texas is that it's just been insanely hot. Like we've had like two weeks consistently where it's been over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. That's like, I mean, it's insane. Like basically you just have to like be inside all the time where there's air conditioning and it's just, it's really lame. Everyone here in Texas says that it's very, this is a anomaly like it's not normally this hot but every single day being 100 degrees out sometimes more today and tomorrow it's going to be 108 degrees it's just gnarly and it's i don't know it bums me out so those are my thoughts on texas right now i've only been here for three months but uh right now it's just really hot and it's hard for me to go out and even explore that much so what tripod do you recommend i've heard you have to invest a lot into one not necessarily like tripods have come down in price a lot to where you can get a pretty good tripod for not that much. Obviously, the more you spend, the better tripod you'll get. If you have a smaller DSLR, the Benro Aero 2 or the Manfrotto Be Free Live, those are uh, two good tripods that have balancing heads on them. So they have like bowls to where 
you don't have to adjust the legs in order to get it level. You have like a little bull mount and you can level it that way, which I like about those. Um, I think Komen on Amazon, the Komen brand has a similar feature. Yeah, those are the three that I'd probably suggest if you have a little more money, the Benro, the Manfrotto are the good name brands. And then Komen, those ones are, are fairly cheaper, but they have the same bull mount design. I'm still using an old fancier studio tripod that I got back in like the T2i days. And it still works fine with like a newer 501 head. So I'm actually in the market to get a better tripod here pretty soon. But yeah, you can get pretty decent ones for not that much money, like under a hundred bucks. What camera are you advising that shoot in 4K and is very good in photography? There are a lot of cameras that shoot in 4K and are good in photography. If money was no object, obviously get like the Sony a7 IV. <laughs> if you didn't want to spend that much on an a7 IV, then you could get something like a Panasonic G85. Those are perfectly competent photo cameras, shoot in 4K, have image stabilization. If you wanted something with a little bit of a bigger sensor, then you could go for like a Fuji XS10 or an X-T3. Yeah, there's a lot of options that are good for photography. I feel like there's a big misconception that Micro Four Thirds cameras are not good for photography. I think that's kind of not true. I shot almost all of my favorite pictures on a Micro Four Thirds camera. And I think photography and cinematography in general, it really depends a lot more on who's using the camera than it does the camera itself. Anyone can take a picture with a 50 millimeter F 1.8 and get a blurry background shot, but not everyone is gonna know how to compose it and light it properly. So any camera out there that shoots 4K, it's probably going to be a pretty good photo camera too. Money's no object, a7 IV, you want to spend a little less, Fuji X-S10 or X-T3 or even an X-T4, or you could go for the G85, G9, any of the Micro Four Thirds cameras that shoot 4K are going to be perfectly competent photo cameras as well. Uh, my sister's calling, hold on. Hey, is it okay if I call you back in like two minutes? I'm actually recording my podcast right now. All right, and the last question is, wondering if there is a dream project for you or a big project you'd like to take on one day. I don't know if there's any like dream project. Like it'd be really cool to do a video for a skate brand, like a well-established skate brand or something like that. The only thing that I can really think of is just like, I wanna do more skateboarding stuff. I wanna do more commercial type stuff. So doing a commercial for a skate brand or even a camera brand, those would be probably the things that I would like to work on the most. I don't have aspirations like a lot of other cinematographers do, like making a movie or, you know, making a full-length documentary. That stuff, maybe I'm just in the minority here, and I just am not that interested in it. But I personally don't think that you, like, you have to have these huge aspirations in order to be a cinematographer. Like, you can just want to create commercials for the rest of your life or, you know, make educational content for the rest of your life and still be totally happy and... That's kind of where I'm at, where it's like, I mean, I'd like to make some short documentaries. I'd like to make like a series of short stuff one day, but I don't have any aspirations of being the next Peter Jackson, you know? I'd rather be the behind-the-scenes guy that films the behind-the-scenes feature of a Peter Jackson movie or something like that. So, yeah, that's really all I can say about future aspirations is I'd like to make commercial and promotional style content for companies that I really like and just kind of have like a catalog of stuff that I'm really proud of, which is kind of what I want to start this year is starting to make stuff that like I can keep on my website and kind of pitch to other companies that I really like and just make cool looking stuff.
So yeah, that's all of the questions that I have for this podcast. Big shout out to everyone who submitted a question. It was really fun. I'm still having just as much fun answering these questions as I did when I first started this podcast. But yeah, if you'd like to support me and join me on Patreon, then I'll have the links in the show notes below. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Lawlands podcast. And stay tuned because the next episode, we should be doing another interview with a special guest. So stay tuned for that. Anyways, once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch y'all next time. Later. Thank you.